Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and happy holidays. Welcome to another episode of Before My Time with your host, me, Gelsey Laurie. And today, our co-host, producer, and very close friend, Matt Kelly, is going to tell us all about the history of A Christmas Carol. Let's do it. To entertain you, we'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. You can't go wrong. We'll two step, a new step. It won't be long. When the Dixieland is up playing, soon you'll be swaying. So come on, sing along. Well, Gelsey, one of the things that we have established that we love around this podcast is, of course, the Muppets. No, no shit. And Muppets Christmas Carol is celebrating 30 years this week. So I thought it would be a good excuse to talk a little bit about the original Christmas Carol, something that is definitively before both of our times. Yes. Uh, I think I think when I checked, it's celebrating like its 170-something birthday, so... Yeah, it's pretty old. Do you know what the full original title of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol was? I have no idea. The full title was A Christmas Carol in prose being a ghost story of Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Like so fucking literal. So random. Uh, It was published in London in 1843. So yeah, we're only going to be... 20 years away from a 200-year anniversary on the publish of this book soon. Is this like pre or post Um, Jack the Ripper? That would be a question for you to answer. Have we not done a Jack the Ripper episode? So I know we we should uh, lock that into our memories. definitely do. I just need to know like what kind of a London I'm imagining here. (laughs) Is it like they're aware of Jack the Ripper and they have had a little bit of historical trauma around 1888? Oh, this is pre-Ripper. This is pre-Jack the Ripper. Ripper, So they're feeling honky-dory. Dickens wrote the story during a period when the British were exploring and reevaluating the past traditions of Christmas that included how they sang carols and adding new customs like Christmas cards and Christmas trees. So it was like kind of this weird thing going on where like 
the queen had a Christmas tree and then that made everyone in, in Britain decide that they wanted a Christmas tree type type vibe. Um, but it was also influenced from some of his experiences as a youth. Uh, and I was like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> so I, I dug into a little bit. Dickens' father was basically a thief and his thief father was put in prison for being a thief when Dickens was 12. Uh, and that forced him to pawn all of his books, drop out of school, and begin to work at an, in a what was described as a dirty rat-infested shoe-blacking factory. Um, and that became the inspiration for how Scrooge's workplace was run. Just kind of this dingy, gross, beat-up area. So let's jump to 1842. All right. Dickens is a very well-established author. Uh, He's had like six major works and a ton of uh, short stories in print. But his novel, I'm going to completely butcher this, his novel Martin Chuzzlewit didn't sell well. And his publishers threatened to reduce his monthly income if he didn't guarantee that his next book was a success. Well, with a name like that, what was he expecting? He should have gotten a better PR manager, but... For real. Like, when you're putting out, like, Tale of Two Cities, Great Expectations, Martin Chuzzlewit. (laughs) Sounds like someone I'm swiping left on is what that sounds like. Yeah, like, that's one that's going to just sit on the shelf at that point. He turned this book around so quick, Elsie. He started working on the book in October of 1943 and completed it in six weeks, the final pages were still being written in early December, and the book hit shelves on December 19th, 1943. Jeez. <laughs> so, that sounds like me back in school, like pulling an all-nighter, writing a thesis 10-page paper that I didn't even start. That's what <laughs> <yeah>. he did. <laughs> he, he was just like, I'm going to go for it. So while he was writing this, a lot of it, according to his sister-in-law's writings, he would go on these 15 to 20-mile night walks through the streets of London And then he would come back and just write. Like he'd walk and think about what he was going to write about. And she said that uh, during the time that he was writing it, he would come back and he'd be crying, then laughing, then crying again um, throughout the entire composition of the book. Like he was being very emotionally moved by the process of writing the story. So it gets published on December 19th. That's when the first edition is printed of the book and it's already sold out by Christmas Eve. So in five days book completely sells out blockbuster by December of the following year it's already been printed 13 different editions that's how like quickly it was selling out however this isn't a fully happy story about this uh due to a dispute with the publishers Dickens arranged to pay for all of the publishing himself in exchange for a percentage of the profits however the production had a couple problems the first printing contained a drab olive end paper that Dickens felt was unacceptable. Um, So the publishers had to reprint the first one uh, on yellow paper, but then it clashed with the title page. So then they had to do it a third time. So the high production costs that Dickens had insisted on greatly reduced his profits. So the first edition only brought him 230 pounds, which is about 24,000 pounds in 2000. 22, but he was expecting it to be a thousand pounds or what would have been a hundred and four thousand in today's currency. So did dramatic eighty thousand less than he was hoping for in, in today's he currency. Have kept the yellow pages. 
Yeah, in the end, the profits were only 774 pounds, and Dickens was pretty disappointed. But it then became his most popular book in the United States and sold over 2 million copies in the hundreds of years following its first publication. Um, And the popularity started to build in 1849 um, when Dickens started doing public readings of the story that proved so successful that he did 172 performances of reading the book live all the way up until 1870 when he actually died. So he did 127 readings in 21 years. Which, when you're thinking that they probably only want to hear it read in the month of December, that's that's a pretty packed December, <laughs> year after year after year. <laughs> no wonder he was like, I'm exhausted, I need to die now. And then 18 years yeah. later, Jack the Ripper was like, cool, I need to kill. I don't know why I want to yeah. tie this to He Jack just Ripper was waiting, so he was waiting. Well, I was thinking about that. Once you brought up Jack the Ripper, I'm like, you know that he ain't taking no 15, 20 mile walk around London if Jack the Ripper's on the loose. So that probably <laughs> I also... I had a point, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that sucks that um, it's Christmas- like... I- Two million copies in the U.S. You're like, the next couple hundred years, I'm like, great, that did nothing for Dickens. Did nothing for Dickens. Uh, The Christmas Carol, though, has never been out of print uh, and has been translated in several different languages. So the bad news did not stop for Dickens (laughs) with this particular book. Merry Christmas. So, So in January of 1844, so literally a month after the book was released... Uh, the Parley's Luminated Library published the unauthorized version of the story in a condensed form for a cheaper price. Two days after the book was released, Dickens successfully sued them over copyright infringement, but then the publishers declared themselves bankrupt, so Dickens was left to pay all of the costs of the lawsuit on his own. (laughs) So... Uh, I, I can understand why this book was kind of an ultimate disappointment for him because it was a lot of investment going in. And it's one of those classic cases of like an author not... I think he got to see a little bit of the popularity with doing the readings and everything. But, you know, this is a this is a story that has been told and retold and performed on stage and done as multiple films. And mm-hmm. even at the time that we're recording this, there's a new version of it that's on Apple TV that is so phenomenal. I just haven't it had time phenomenal. to like sit and soak it in. It's like I, I want to do yes, it properly. It, it's a, you know, it's a full-blown musical from the people Glass who did Greatest Showman, La La Land, and Dear Evan Hansen. So it's just poppy-ass uh, musical numbers, but it's great. It's great. I'm, I'm talking so about excited. Spirited, obviously, if those of you don't know. The only other thing that I brought up that I found interesting there was two things one was that the one of the last lines of the entire book was not in the original manuscript it was a last second edition just before the book went to press which was the line and tiny tim who did not die so it was like a game time moment when he's like you know what let's not kill tiny tim (laughs) wait that's actually what it says yeah I thought that was just a Muppets. I was waiting to see where I could throw it and be like, and Tiny Tim, who did not die. I thought yep, that nope, was that like, is, oh my God, that no, that's from the so original much book. better. That's probably why they were like <laughs> to punch this line. I thought that was just a Muppet way of doing it, which is hilarious. Yeah, not it's is brilliant. in italics in the book to stress like <laughs> did not Just to let you know, oh, by the way, he did not die. <laughs> well, so, so we will talk about the Muppets in a second, but... The other thing I wanted to bring up was that one of the things I read was that there has been a long debate over the story on if it is a fully secular story or if it doubles as an allegory for Christianity. 
Um, I've read this book a million times. I've never once seen the allegory for Christianity in there, so I don't really know where that's coming from. But, uh, you know, calling out to the people who are listening to the podcast, if you know what the allegory might be that I am that I am missing, I would I would love to know. And I didn't uh, read so the let book, us know. So I've never but, read it. Well, you kind of have. But I've watched and all the, the movies. I think I've watched every version of it except Spirited, which I'll watch this week. Well, what I was going to say is that the one that we have talked about in reference already is The Muppets Christmas Carol, of course, which has multiple times been referred to as the most loyal adaptation of the original book. Um, pretty much everything Gonzo says in his narration is verbatim how it's written in the book. Um, and that was the thing. So I have... I have a tradition where literally the week leading up to Christmas, basically five days before Christmas, I read a chapter a night because it's a five chapter book. Oh, I like that. I am a man of tradition, Gelsey. Um, but you bragged about how many versions and movies of this you've watched. So I want to ask, let's take Muppets Christmas Carol off the table because I think that is going to be both of our answers. What is your second favorite adaptation of the Christmas Carol? It's not my favorite. It wouldn't be my first if it was on the table. Um, Ghosts. Ghosts of Girlfriend's Past, clearly. I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) I was like, I don't even know, because this is the girl who put all songs from the same album on a top five list. Ghosts of Girlfriend's Um, Past was like a a spin-off idea, and it's like Matthew McConaughey, and he's going to the sister's wedding, and Jennifer Garner. It doesn't matter. I'm joking. There is a... Christmas Carol. No, my my favorite one in seriousness is Scrooge. I was gonna say Scrooge is my number two. So that's my number one, and probably Muppets will be my number two. But I I religiously watch Scrooge every year, if not multiple times. I I love it so much. Scrooge is, and this is including the new movie. Uh, Scrooge, I think, is the most interesting modern take mm-hmm. on, and it it's it's borderline a horror movie. It is so frightening how they design some of the ghosts, and then obviously. You've got, um, is it Carol? I want to say Carol King, but it that's the singer. Kane. No, Carol Kane. Kane. Yeah. Carol Kane. Okay. She's the, sometimes you have to be slapped in the face. She sent Bill Murray to the hospital filming that. Are Did you, you hear about that? No. When she, so when you watch it this year, when she grabs his lip and pulls yes. it down, she tugged it too hard and literally ripped his lip and he had to go to the hospital and get stitches and they had to like pause filming for a day or two because she straight up teared his mouth with how hard she pulls on it. That's incredible. Um, and I also love Karen Allen who plays the love interest who we better know her as Marion from Indiana Jones. But I think she just has the Karen, most endearing everything. So I had this theory that um, my celebrity crushes of each decade are literally just clones of each other, which is Jessica Harper for the 70s Karen Mm. Allen for the 80s and Christina Ricci for the 90s they all have a similar like (laughs) big eyes like girl next door look (laughs) this is very true yeah Karen Allen is my number one 80s celebrity crush by without almost any competition she has such a welcoming sweet face (laughs) but yeah that so that is my little the little history of Charles Dickens the Christmas Carol in prose being a ghost story of Christmas. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And um, gosh, the 30th. I know we've talked about this before as far as the Muppets version goes, but I think 
one of the reasons that it is so good aside from it staying so traditionally which they do a lot which is why I love Muppet Treasure Island it's actually my favorite but they're really good about and I think because they're Muppets and silly and stuff they're kind of like we have to stay as classic as we can and and stay true to it to then do our thing but Michael Caine is such a brilliant actor of course but he this might be one of his finest roles like he is brilliant in it and his performance is so beautiful and he plays it so serious and so real as if he was on a Shakespearean stage and that also is what makes it such a great film that then you have that aside from Gonzo and Rizzo and it works it's it's a, a lot of stuff right because it's that and and you brought up Muppet Treasure Island too. Muppet Treasure Island works for the same reason, which is that the very limited human cast never acts like it's weird that they're acting with Muppets, mm-hmm. right? They treat every single Muppet like it's just another actor on the stage with them. Um, and they, they stick to that source material. But also there's there's something to be said about even that we're getting probably the most reserved Gonzo we've ever seen. Like it's not really the like wacky for wacky's sake Gonzo because mm-hmm. You know, he it's Gonzo playing the role of Charles Dickens. He's not Gonzo, which is, uh, you know, it's an it's that interesting line to be drawn for sure. But uh, yeah, I just I I do adore this movie. And this is, Chris, Muppets Christmas Carol is one of those like I'll I'll probably be at someone's house during the month of December and it's already on. But it's like right up there with like Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street and It's a Wonderful Life, where it's like oh. It's Christmas Eve. Like I'm, I'm knocking these. I'm, I'm making sure that these three get watched today. If I can, if I have control over it, because they're the ones that really give me that that biggest like endorphin boost, and also like will get me tearing up a little bit. Like it's like it's gonna hit all the beats that I want to feel on Christmas Eve, which is like a little bit sad, very hopeful. <laughs> so. That's not really how I want to feel on Christmas Eve, but it's fine. I'm like uh, want to feel a little I'm bit tipsy the- and and a little bit warm felt. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. That's the difference between the two of us. <laughs> I'll put a little extra bourbon in my eggnog and and put on a a funny Christmas movie. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Well, Gelsey, since we're talking about this because it's the 30-year anniversary of The Muppets Christmas Carol, Mm -hmm. I had to ask a Muppets Christmas Carol question. And it's a hard one. Okay. Do you have a favorite song from the movie? Oh, it's so hard. You know what? The song that I think I sing the most in my life, ironically, is we're Marley and Marley. Because anytime anyone says Marley, I've met friends named Marley. I have people that have dogs named Marley. It's if I hear Marley, it's like we're done for. I'm going to be singing that. Or if someone says chains, I'm always like the chains. So for some reason, that (laughs) song gets sung a lot for me. But I like the uh, what's the main song the 
the I think it's the first song, the like Christmas. Oh no, it's in the middle. It's the Ghost of Christmas Present sings um what whenever you find love it feels yes. like Christmas. Yes, yes, yes. That's probably my it's favorite in the song. Singing of it... a street corner choir. Yes. It's going home and getting warm by a fire. That's I it. so that's in my I don't I honestly don't know what my answer is to this question. Like it feels like Christmas is very high up there. But I also I shout out to Paul Williams, uh one of my favorite songwriters who wrote up, all Paul? the songs in this. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. "One More Sleep Till Christmas" is another really good one. The, yeah. There's magic in the air. Oh, I do love that one. Magic. And Kermit, of so course, that one, is so like on the uh, the infamously cut song for being too sad. The "When Love Is Gone" song I, that, that came um, into my mind too. Yeah, that they sing it is it's a beautiful song. But one that's been kind of uh, over the last maybe three or four years has been getting the way you sing Marley and Marley in any situation. I can find myself. It could be the middle of summer um, doing like a dog walk. And in my head, I'm like, here comes Mr. Humbug. Yeah. Here comes Mr. Grimm. That one is very <laughs> like, catchy. Yeah, I've thought like about that, that one That one gets too. stuck in there. Yeah. My my friend Lauren, who listens, uh, we always refer to the no cheeses for us, Mises. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's so, oh, I'm getting excited. I got to watch that. Like, Well, it's November 29th. I'll wait till it's officially December. Oh, well, there you go. That'll one? be your December kickoff. Obviously, sometimes we pre-record these folks. You know, don't be dumb. Yeah, that's all right. I, yeah. <laughs> I was all, ooh, did I <laughs> Come just on out now. us? But I got <laughs> shit to do. Look, I got to go like dance on a stage and make money. Well, if they're truly upset that we have just revealed the wizard behind the curtain, where is the best place for them to let us know how much we've ruined the magic for them? Yeah, please let us know how much that magic is ruined for you on Instagram. You can find us at Before My Time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just search Before My Time. We will pop up. Send us a message right on our wall. DM, comment, say hey, say ho, say hi, say you ruined the fucking magic. And you know what we're going to do because we ruined it is give you a five-star review. Because if you're bored and want to do that too, that'd be awesome. Spread that holiday cheer because you know you want to. We really appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in every week. And hope you are having a lovely holiday season. And we will see you next week. Bye. Listening to the Geekscape Network. 